Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I love that song, and I think probably many of you may actually know the story behind it. This is not part of the message, but if you don't know the story behind it, the guy who wrote it was Horatio uh, Spafford. And uh, the story is that his wife and I think a couple of daughters took a boat to England, and halfway across the Atlantic, the boat sank, and the next thing he got was a cable from his wife that said, all lost, save me. And his wife lived through it, and so he boarded the next boat, and he asked the captain to please stop at the point where the boat had gone down. And when he was notified, he went out, and he stood on the deck of the ship, and the result of that is this song, that in spite of all of the trial, in spite of the temptations, in fact, maybe even fitting in with tonight's message, it was a truly a time of challenge for him that he wrote, It is well with my soul. Well, in these 40 days of Lent, we remember Jesus' time of testing. And if you were here on Ash Wednesday, we talked about a time of testing in the wilderness, acknowledging that each and every one of us have our own specific times of testing. And each wilderness experience, no matter whether it's yours, mine, or ours collectively, or in your family, or whatever, always presents us with difficulties and struggles. But tonight I want to focus on that little part of the verse where Mark said that there were wild beasts in the wilderness with Jesus. You know, we've heard that story a number of times, and we just kind of go, well, Jesus got baptized, was driven into the wilderness, got tempted by the devil, and then went on with his life. But sometimes, you know, what about those wild beasts in the wilderness? Well, I got to thinking that probably all of our wildernesses are complete with wild beasts. For example, I think fear crouches in the bushes nearby, waiting to pounce on us, strangle us. Temptation slithers like a snake, waiting for the opportunity to strike. Despair circles overhead, kind of like a buzzard, waiting to land and pick up the pieces. But really, wilderness times have their wild beasts, whether it be fear or temptation or despair. There are times that challenge our faith. I mean, just imagine if you're Charles Spafford to realize that you've lost a child in a drowning accident. It challenges our values, you know, what we stand for. It challenges our trust in God. It challenges us sometimes in what we actually believe. And all of us get challenged at one time or another in the wilderness. Now, when I turned 60 years old, uh, one of my friends sent me a card that said, quote, As you grow older, don't worry about avoiding temptations. Temptations will start avoiding you. Now, I think that was his way of kind of saying, you know, when you get older, you're not going to need to worry about such things. Well, those of you that have gone past the age of 60 know temptations did not stop at 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80, and uh, I doubt that they're ever going to end. 
I mean, it'd be really nice if we somehow could outgrow temptation. Uh, St. Anthony uh, spoke the truth when he said, quote, expect temptation with your last breath. See, temptation is a very real part of our life, especially challenging when we're in the wilderness, and I would say especially challenging when we have those wild beasts around us, too. Those times of spiritual dryness. I don't know if you ever had those kind of times where you just kind of felt blah, like nothing was really getting you excited or revved up. Uh, or times of loneliness where, you know, sometimes you're even around a whole bunch of people, but you still kind of feel lonely. Uh, or times of despair or discouragement or times of fear when you worry about what the future is going to hold or you're worrying about what the future is going to hold for your children or your grandchildren or disappointment or the feelings of low self-esteem or sometimes just plain simple, the, the feelings of bitterness. I think we all go through those times. And it's in those times that you and I are most susceptible to temptation. And each one of those temptations in the wilderness presents us with a corresponding challenge. I mean, in the, in the wilderness, it's always a challenge to stray from the values we hold dear. The challenge is to hold on to them and live by them. I had an interesting conversation with Wayne before church tonight. And we were talking a little bit about a message a couple of weeks ago where, Jesus, where Satan says, if, and Jesus said, no, it is written, where you actually reach the point in your life where you've got it down. This is my, these are my principles. This is my biblical foundation. I am not going to be moved off of this. We have made a decision. I mean, that's why Jesus could quote Scripture. I suggested to you last Sunday, quoting Scripture wasn't what changed the devil. It was really what Jesus was saying. Look, this is settled. I fully accept what God has said to me in his word. You're not going to budge me up. Kind of like Luther on Reformation. Here I stand. I can do no other. But see, sometimes in the wilderness we are uh, tempted to take shortcuts to um, avoid the struggle, to find the easy way out. But the challenge is to kind of meet that struggle head on and take the hard way. When I was teaching in Lutheran High School in the Chicago area, our principal used to have some final announcements at the end of the day. And he always ended up with something that I always thought was somewhat trite for a while, but I finally caught on. But he used to always say, take the hard right against the easy wrong. He would always say that on a Friday afternoon. Take the hard right against the easy wrong. And how true that is. I mean, there's so many things that are just easy to do. It's the easy way out. But sometimes when you're following the Lord through your time of wilderness, you've got to take the hard right against the easy wrong. The right way, the way to life. Uh, guess what? It's, it's pretty uh, hard and narrow. Some of you may remember these verses. This is Matthew uh, chapter 7, uh, 13 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. 
See, in the wilderness again, when you're having difficulty, you, you find uh, the temptation is to listen to all kinds of voices. Again, voices that really have nothing to do with Jesus, have nothing to do with Scripture. The challenge is always to say, uh, I wonder what God has to say about this. I wonder what the Bible has to say about this. But sometimes we pollute our minds so much by listening to radio, uh, watching television, um, scanning the Internet, you know, Facebook, Twitter, you, you, you name it. Thousands of voices out there representing many misunderstandings. I mean, they, they know all kinds of stuff, but they really don't know what the Word of God says. It's like my favorite definition of what a fundamentalist is. A fundamentalist is that person who absolutely positively knows what they think and believe, but absolutely positively doesn't know what the Bible says. There are a lot of people like that. They absolutely positively know what they think and believe, for example, about abortion or gambling or capital punishment, you name it. But they absolutely positively do not know what the Word of God has to say about it. And, you know, sometimes they're just as happy as clams not knowing. You know why? Because if you know, you might actually have to change your mind. You might actually have to change a direction. You might have to give up something that you thought was so important. But in reality, what would you be doing? You would be trading something that you thought was so important, so easy, for something that's difficult, but something that was right. Lots of voices in this world. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Uh, especially, I think, for uh, children and young people. I think it's really hard today to try to discern between the voices and try to figure out which voice is really encouraging me in the Word, which voices are encouraging me as I walk through the wilderness of this life. I mean, so often the evil that tempts us and leads us into temptation is something uh, other than God. And sometimes God is almost portrayed as the ugly, scary person. You know, it's that big guy in the sky with the booming voice, you know, with, with the bolt of lightning, you know, but, you know, what do we do? We even dress our kids up like cute little devils. And, but devils are cute. Why? Because God is so scary. See what happens? We've slid off in the wilderness, off of God's Word, off of a biblical viewpoint, into the way the world looks at it. Actually, evil generally presents itself as something pretty good. Generally, the twisting of something good and life giving into something evil and destructive. I mean, things like money and power and influence and sex and security and winning and fame, all of those things are good. And yet they can all be twisted to somehow to become evil and destructive. I happened to turn on a television in my hotel room the other night up in Illinois, and I just... I was trying to find the Indiana-Michigan State basketball game. Uh, and I discovered it was last night while I was on the train. But at any rate, I, there was a television commercial, and I, I just got set there and I watched it, and I thought, what were they trying to sell here? And then it did a little tagline. It was a car. And I thought, I don't even remember seeing the car. 
I saw a bunch of women in bikinis. I didn't see a car. And see, we've taken something that's seemingly good and turned it into something kind of weird. See, in the wilderness again, the challenge, the challenge is uh, to fight against the temptation to substitute stuff in the place of God. The, the challenge is to live knowing that God is sufficient. I mean, one of the interesting discussions, I think Nancy and I have this discussion over and over in our life, is always kind of starts with, well, what if, you know, what if this happens or what if this happens? But we almost always end up with the same statement at the end. Well, God's taking care of us to this point. And God will continue to take care of us in the next place. I mean, the world is saying, well, what if, what if, what if? But God is saying, it's written, it's written, it's written. And you can, you can bank on my promises. Now, one of the great temptations we face is always the temptation to have more. I mean, we always think happiness is around the corner if we have a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that. Uh, the temptation is to give up uh, when, in reality, the challenge is really to persevere. See, meeting the challenges in the wilderness each time helps us prepare to meet the uh, next big challenge. I remember in high school uh, being told a little bit about a future opponent that we had facing us in football. And Coach Scove describing uh, the tackles that were on this one team. And he said, you're going to have a hard time running the ball off tackle when you've got two guys, a guy on either side that are about 6'3 and weigh about 240 pounds. He said, but you're going to have to run hard at these tackles all night. And at the end of the game, it was difficult. He said, well, now you're ready because next week they have a tackle that's six foot eight and weighs 290. He said, but you had, to, you had to learn to do that so you could take the next step again. And we struggle with our temptations. And out of that struggle, though, comes strength. Or out of that struggle comes character. I always love uh, the book of James. You know, it's kind of interesting that Martin Luther didn't particularly care for the book of James, called it a straw epistle. And, and I kind of think it's because there was so much work righteousness going on in his day that he had a little trouble reconciling faith and works. Uh, but at the beginning of the book of James, <laughs> James says this, My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, many kinds, and by the way, the Greek word for many kinds, is the same word that you can find in the Old Testament that describes Joseph's coat of many colors. In other words, when you find temptations of any color, any stripe, what does he say? Consider it nothing but joy. Try this the next time somebody comes and complains to you. I've done this as a pastor. Oh, pastor, I have to come and see you. Life really stinks. Then try this. Great! I'm happy for you. Why? Because now you and God have an opportunity to actually work together. It says, count it nothing but joy. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. In uh, some old church history, there's a story... Um, a, a book that's called The Desert Fathers. And, and The Desert Fathers talk about a lot of um, 
hermits, uh, people who kind of lived off by themselves, and one of them was Abbot John the Dwarf. Abbot John the Dwarf. And Abbot John uh, prayed to the Lord that all passion would be taken away from him. And lo and behold, his prayer was answered. He became totally incapable of feeling anything. And in this condition, he actually went to one of the elders and said, You see before you a man who is completely at rest and has no more temptations. And the elders surprised him. And instead of praising him, the elders said, Go and pray to the Lord to command some struggle to be stirred up in you, for the soul is matured only in battles. And so Abbot John the dwarf went and did He prayed that his passions be brought back, and they did. And then suddenly all the temptations started up again, but he never, ever prayed that the struggle be taken away. Instead, some of his dying words were these, Lord, thank you for giving me strength to get through the fight. Now, sometimes temptation seems like it's only a trap that leads to difficulty and maybe even tragedy. But there's always another side to temptation. You know, if we pay attention, it always gives us an opportunity to learn something about ourselves. You know, sometimes you learn just how strong you really are. Sometimes it shows you as you weigh, you know, okay, I have a choice to do this or this. Sometimes what we need to do is take a look at the temptation to do bad and play it out to its logical extremes. And I think sometimes if we do that, we kind of go, woo, don't think I want to go down that road. But see, when you see, I don't want to go down that road, now consider this road. What would be the positive benefits of doing what the Lord has called us to do? See, the benefit is obvious only if we act On the temptation, do we create negative consequences for ourselves and others? But when we take positive steps on what the Lord asks us to do, we create positive consequences for ourselves and others as well. The really great thing is, in these times, in the wilderness times, is we're not doing this on our own. To me, the really comforting thing is always to know that somebody else has done this. I mean, how many times have you ever been called upon to do something? You kind of wonder, I don't know if I can do that. And somebody says, well, here, let me show you how. And you realize that that person's pretty good at this. And maybe your first attempt or your second attempt wasn't all that great. But, you know, when you tried it a few more times, you got the hang of it. Nancy's dad was a carpenter. He took great pride in in the work that he did. He soon found out that Nancy married the wrong man. He found out that uh, when it came to carpentry, what I was good at was waxing screws and sweeping sawdust. And I wasn't too happy about that. But I can remember a time when I built something there. Bookshelves. We still have those bookshelves almost Forty-some years later, I look at those every once in a while, and I think, you know, they're not great. But I can remember when they were all all said and done, my father-in-law actually said something like, they're not bad. (laughs) They're not bad. Now, 
I'm just saying, but how did I even begin to know how to do any of that? I'll be honest with you, I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. But I'd watched him cut wood. I'd watched him run it through the planer often enough. I saw him take that router to make the grooves and where that fit and how to set nail things like that and, and how to pull the nails back out without damaging the wood. I mean, I got to the point that, believe it or not, when we went to Hong Kong and we needed some shelves built, I went down and explained to carpenters in Hong Kong how to do it. You remember that shelf? Yeah. <laughs> All I'm saying is sometimes you have, to, you have somebody that goes ahead of you and shows you how. Well, this gets back to the point of it's Jesus. Jesus has been where we are. Jesus, in fact, is down the road. We learn how to meet the challenges. We learn how to face the temptation. I mean, Jesus was ready to meet the challenges because he met daily with his Father in the wilderness because Jesus knew where his strength would come from. He was thoroughly versed in the will of God. He was thoroughly versed in the way of God for his life. And so Jesus gives us a very simple little solution to all of our challenges, and that is to meet our Father daily before the wilderness ever comes our way so that we are then prepared for the challenges we face. And pray that we remember that as life's challenges come our way in Jesus' name.